Please be seated. And if you have your Bible or your scripture sheet, you can find Romans chapter 15, which is where we're going to get to in, in just a moment. So I get to teach the Word for a few more Sundays after, after today. Uh, so I don't think this is going to be our last message in Romans. We have at least one more after this, but we're getting very, very close, and we're getting into some of the Apostles' final thoughts in his epistle. We pick up our reading and our study today from Romans 15, from verses 8 through 18. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. So there is a, uh, there's a word, and in fact, uh, probably in your Bible it's a capitalized word, that's found six times in verses 8 to 12 and three more times in 16 to 18. Do you see, you see what that word is? What, what is that word? Gentiles. That's, that's right. Uh, it is our key word for today. It is that word Gentile. Well, here we are in, in the year 2023 and almost approaching 2,000 years since Paul wrote this epistle to the Romans, nearly 3,000 years since the beginning of the Hebrew nation on the land where it is presently. But what is the top story in the world news at the end of 2023? Well, it is conflict in Israel, conflict with Israel between yeah, Jews and Gentiles, in this case, mostly Muslim Gentiles. Rather amazing when you think about it. I mean, the Jewish people form 0.2% of the earth's population. Obviously, the Old Testament scriptures provide us uh, the story 
of the Hebrew nation, of the Jewish people, of their kingdom and of their wisdom. The, the heroes of the, of the New Testament are mostly all Jewish, and so much of what is written pertains to the response of the Jews to their Messiah. And, and then this marriage in the church of Gentile believers with Jewish believers, and you, marriages often uh, are very rocky. Uh, you bring two different people into one house, and, and it is uh, a challenge for both of them. You know how this goes. It can be stressful, and from reading the New Testament epistles, there was apparently a lot of stress between Gentile believers and Jewish believers, and it created stress among church leaders in those days over how to handle the differences. And so we have, for the last few weeks, been considering uh, Paul's counsel concerning this, uh, but today, the apostle rather concludes his remarks on the subject with his focus being on the Gentiles. The Gentiles. We have, we have three points about Gentiles today. We will look at the offering of the Gentiles. We will look at the obedience of the Gentiles. But we begin with just a recognition of the focus on Gentiles in Paul's writings. Paul himself, you know, was a Jew. He was a model Jew. He was a purebred Jew. But his calling from God was primarily towards peoples from the Gentiles. It didn't start that way. Paul's ministry pattern was always to go into a city, and he would t head toward the uh, prominent gathering places, often synagogues for the Jews. But over time, he turned more and more to the Gentile world as his focus. In Ephesians 3, Paul said that he landed in prison because of his devotion to the Gentiles. And, and there he also wrote this in Ephesians 3, 8, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. In, uh, in a month, I will deliver my final address to North Park Church. I, I don't know yet uh, what that's going to be. I'll be as interested, more interested than you, I expect. <laughs> but this verse was the uh, passage that I spoke from at the end of my 24 years at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Palm Bay, Florida. Uh, uh, Ephesians 3.8. I could easily go there again because I, I just feel it so deeply what a privilege it has been to declare the extraordinary riches of Christ for four decades and mostly to Gentiles. Uh, for me, I guess it was always assumed that my mission was going to be largely among Gentiles. I grew up uh, knowing precisely zero Jewish people. I'm guessing that's probably your experience too if you grew up in western Pennsylvania or Georgia or wherever someplace, if it's not Miami or New York. That's probably how most of us uh, experience life as young people. What, what grabs me about that verse I quoted from Ephesians 3 though, it, it's the message more than the audience. It's about preaching the unfathomable riches of Christ. But for Paul, the audience was a big part 
of, uh, of his thinking. He was very mindful that he was bringing a word that would usher in a new day in redemptive history, a new entity, this international body of redeemed persons who formed the church, and he was always blown away by what God was up to. So, Back to Romans 15 now, verse 9. You look at that, you see the Gentiles get to glorify God for His mercy. Verse 10, the Gentiles get to rejoice with God's holy people. Verse 11, the Gentiles are now worshipers. Verse 12, the Messiah from the line of David and Jesse includes in His realm Gentiles and has given these hopeless ones new hope. So all of this is quite spectacular, and and as a group of mostly Gentiles, we can read this and say, praise be to God. We probably should do that. Praise be to God. PBTG, like PBJ, which you are living in so vibrantly as a people. So we are a congregation of worshipful, hopeful Gentiles about to celebrate the birth of one who was ostensibly a Jewish Messiah. But then he becomes our Messiah, our King, our Savior as well. The people who walked in darkness, they shall see a great light, right? All of these Old Testament passages, and if you look at our text, Paul quotes four times, four passages that look forward to that reality of this Jewish Messiah becoming a Gentile Messiah as well. And you and I can look back at the same truth, but the reaction is the same. Whether you look forward to the Jewish Messiah rescuing Gentiles or backwards to the Jewish Messiah rescuing Gentiles. The reaction's the same. There is hope, there is joy, there is peace. And that sounds a lot like a Christmas card, doesn't it? Uh, Because it is. It is the gospel which is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. The Jew first, but also to the Greek, to the Gentile. So, time to turn to your neighbor and say, Merry Christmas, you happy Gentile. Go ahead. (laughs) All right, that's good. I've also thought it'd be fun to have like a Christian college name their athletic teams, the Fighting Gentiles. I don't know. (laughs) So we can move from there to, uh, to look now at our second point, which is the offering of the Gentiles. Now, this is uh, very interesting to me. Verse 16 speaks of Paul's calling. Uh, look at it, verse 16, to be called to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So we think of Paul as an apostle. We think of him as a preacher. We think of him as a missionary evangelist. Here he puts on his priest hat, and he talks about uh, an offering. Now, in the New Covenant, we have only one high priest who is Jesus himself, but we all, we all, not just the clergy boys, we all are little priests. Paul, Peter calls us a royal priesthood. I mean, a a priest, that's somebody who intercedes for others before God. He brings people to God, and Paul did that. You can do that too, because the instrument of our priesthood is, it's the gospel. 
We bring folks to God <laughs> by means of sharing the good news. The New Living Translation says, uh, says this, I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. So, Paul sees himself functioning as a priest, but the interesting thing is what he says, sees as his offering. What's he offering? <laughs> the Gentiles. Uh, now, this isn't quite like Abraham offering up Isaac. Uh, no, no. The idea here is that our God desires men and women to be saved. He sends Paul with a message of salvation like you. Paul is faithful to his calling. Gentiles are indeed saved. And now Paul says uh, to the Lord, so to speak, he says to the Lord, behold, your worshipers, your disciples who came to you via my labors, they are my praise offering, my thank offering. So what does Jesus get for Christmas, which after all is his birthday? Uh, what's he get from Paul? He gets a large bag of converted Gentiles. Uh, North Park Church is endeavoring to offer that same gift to our Savior. So uh, a year ago, there was a concert here in Pittsburgh by a group called Casting Crowns. There they are. Now, Brian Altmeyer tells me this morning he just went to a movie that's out about casting crowns. Maybe you can check into that. But what is that name about casting crowns? Well, in Revelation 4, it speaks of the elders in heaven falling before the Lord. And, and what do they do? They cast or they throw their crowns before the throne of God as they worship. The symbolism here is that they were given crowns representing some reward, but because they understood that all the credit is the Lord's and not theirs, they symbolize this by casting their crowns down before the King of Kings. They present their crowns as an offering to their Savior. So with that in view, consider what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? Uh, the New Living Translation is like this. What gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord when he returns? It is you. And so the Gentile believers, one to Jesus through the laborers of the apostles, they are his crown. They are his offering, which he brings to the Lord for the Lord's eternal glory. So one of the modifiers here is that phrase, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He offers them up, made holy by the Spirit of God. There's a lot, lots here to unpack. First of all, uh, sanctified believers, sanctified believers. Well, that is the end game. That is the goal. That is the telos of every faithful pastor. Colossians 1.28, Paul says, we proclaim him admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that, 
This is the goal. We may present every man complete or mature in Christ, sanctified, holy. Those are what those words mean. The, the, the uh, preaching of Jesus, the teaching of His Word, the labor of the pastor is to this end, and it is an end that the minister himself does not entirely control. He can preach, he can labor, he can pray, but the work ultimately is that of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification, spiritual growth, it's dependent on the Spirit's work. He does it. In the same passage, it says that Christ does it. Our last verse uh, says this, verse 18, I will not presume to speak of anything except what (laughs) Christ has accomplished. What's the next phrase? Through me. Christ is the one who does this work, but you'll note He does not do it directly. He uses means. He uses agents. Paul was such a one. Now, Paul does not discount his own contribution. He speaks of his faithful labors, his fervent labors, but he was always clear that he was only an instrument of the Lord. Acts 15, 12, he said, all the people kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So who did these signs and wonders that he talks about there? Huh? Huh? Who did it? (laughs) God. But he had helpers who are included in the credits. Acts 21, 19, after greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. And you see it there again. God did it. God did it. Paul was the agent. You know, in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks to this issue of how the minister of the Word relates to the author of of the Word in the whole matter of gospel transformation. He says the believers uh, there in Corinth got a little too caught up in the human agency uh, of the matter. Uh, Look at that, verse 5. What then is Apollos, Paul writes, and what is Paul, servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. All right. All right, Paul, we we get this. From him, through him, unto him are all things. But hey, it is still a very special thing to be used of God in the life of of another. It just is. And, and Paul doesn't skip over that. He even speaks of, of boasting, verse 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. <laughs> now, wait a second. I thought we weren't supposed to boast. Yeah. I, I thought this was all of grace, no room for boasting. Well, the answer to that is it depends. Are you boasting in what you have done, in what you are doing? Are you boasting in your power and your magnificence? That would be a problem. But note that Paul says, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason. Paul speaks here 
of boasting in the Lord, unto the Lord, making much of His saving work. That's not only permissible, guys, that is our eternal joy. That is our eternal occupation, boasting in what Jesus has done. You, uh, you who were Steelers fans back in the 1970s, did you glory in your team? I, I'm sure some of you did. I mean, I, I watched those Super Bowls way down there in Florida, and I mean, you couldn't help but be impressed. If I were a burger in those days, I would have joined you in glorying in the success of our team. Was it sinful pride so to do? No, by no means. If Tim Holt was boasting in the Steelers, that was okay because he knew he had nothing whatsoever to do with their success. He just enjoyed being associated with it in some way. He was glorying in the success, in the victory, won by another. That is what Christian boasting is is like. So, two Sundays ago, I mentioned having, having lunch. There's the picture on November 19 in my hometown with two couples, four friends, all of them, <coughs> all of them who came to faith in Christ uh, through our youth ministry back in the late 70s, early 80s that was mightily blessed of God. And, and, and we shared lunch together and, uh, at Sonny's Barbecue on I-75 and 484. These Sonny's, they're like every other block in Central Florida. I come to Pittsburgh, I'm like, where are the barbecue places? You got to go, you got to go to Cranberry, and there's just that Smoky Bones place, which isn't that great, but <laughs> Sonny's, they're everywhere. Uh, and so we had, we had lunch at Sonny's, but all of them came to the Lord through our men. We remembered as we shared together the great things the Lord had done for us. We talked of what we had seen and what we had experienced and we get that it was all of God. We were six nobodies who experienced the power and love of God to change our lives. And then we had experienced, by this point, a half century of His faithfulness to provide for us at every point in every way. But brethren, this was this is remarkable. Our, our marriages were intact, our kids, most of them anyway, following the Lord. We were still in the church after all these decades, still hopeful of heaven when we die, still clinging to the truth. We were, we are involved in those things, sure, but they were all, <laughs> they are all the graces of our Savior, the undeserved mercies of the Lamb. We did some boasting on that day for sure, but it was all gospel boasting. It was bragging on our Savior and how sweet and wonderful and satisfying He is. Now, we're going to have all eternity to brag on the Lord, and that, that means you all get a turn. <laughs> uh, but today, I'm just going to go around and call on some people, and 
That's just to get your adrenaline up when I said that. I used to people like, oh, is he going to call on me? Oh, no. Uh, but now that you're more awake, I'm going to ask Phil and Laura and Kim to come on out. I've asked three people without, they had, they've had no preparation, no notice for this. Uh, last minute, I said, could you do this? And, and they said, okay. Uh, and, and I asked them, uh, you know, in, in part because I'm aware of, of their story. And uh, Kim, for example, did not grow up in a particularly Christian context. She's been there for a long time now. Uh, and, uh, and, and Phil and Laura made a commitment to Christ as, as full-blown adults. And, uh, and, and God, God's done a good thing in, in all, all these four. And so I asked them just to share briefly with us something. I, I just, you guys get two to three minutes to boast in Jesus and tell everybody what he's done for you. That, that's about it. Uh, and I'm interested in what they're going to have to say. Have to say that. So, uh, yeah. So the rest of you are off the hook today. But, uh, boy, I wish we could just uh, have time to go around and, and, and all of you brag about Jesus and what he's done in, in, in your life. But we'll do that for all eternity. Kim Runyon, talk to us about the Lord. Um, first of all, you should know that I am a great sinner. And I have been aware that I was a great sinner from the time I was little. And when I was 17, I went to a Young Life camp, and I found the solution for my sin. And I learned that Jesus came into the world to save sinners like me. And um, he's not finished with me yet. I am still a great sinner, but I am saved by a mighty God. And he began a good work in me, and he will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And I praise God for my salvation. I praise him for his everlasting love for me. I praise him for drawing me with loving kindness to him. Okay, good stuff. Now, I get to do follow-up questions, but I, I don't necessarily have any for Kim. I, I just want to say, so it's been, it's been, all of these, these I didn't call on any really young folks for this. <laughs> these folks are veteran. They've been in the Lord. And in part, that's what I wanted, to, I wanted to have people that have been in the Lord a while in order that we can celebrate. You know, we all celebrate 17-year-olds. She comes, she hears the gospel through young life. <laughs> My wife came to faith through campus life in Bradenton, Florida, not a Christian background. Uh, you know, but that's the power of the gospel. Uh, but then the power of the gospel not only can, changes our lives, but it keeps us and preserves us. And you're not 17 anymore. So you've had a few years to uh, test his faithfulness. And it's been good. It has been. Okay. Laura, how about you? Today, actually, December 10th, 1997 is the day I accepted the Lord. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. Today is oh, my yeah. birthday. <laughs> Mm, it should have been up there. <laughs> Happy birthday oh, no. <laughs> to you. No, no, no. 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 <laughs> no. no. And it's also the day Joe asked me to marry him. So not, it wasn't the same year. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> About to say, Joe, I was going to say, did Joe tell you if you, can, if you accept Christ, I'll marry you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, Catholic right. Joe did not say that. No. Right. <laughs> um. It was 97. I had a suicide plan. I struggled with depression. And Joe was on a road trip. And a pastor, because once we had Erin, she was six months old, you go to church, you know, that's what you do. You have a family, you, you know, you go to church. So lo and behold, um, I was really low. And 
Our pastor and two people from Evangelism Explosion are at the door asking to come in, and I'm like, oh my goodness. So Let them in, Laura. Let them in. I let them in. <laughs> and uh, then, right then and there, I gave my life to Christ, and then, you know, and uh, Pastor Steele goes, well, you know, you should really be in the Word once you get saved, you know. And I'm like, right, I got a six-month-old. I have no energy, you know. And lo and behold, my neighbor next door, Julie Smith, says, I will walk you through the book of John. And the words just came off the page. And um, John 3, 3, you must be born again uh, to see the kingdom of heaven. And I was like, didn't I do this? Like, you know, it's some young life thing, you know, through NA. I'm an NA grad. You know, I was like, didn't I do that then? Did it not take? You know, I sort of was thinking. But the Lord, um, you all know that being as old as I was at 37, you go back and I go, man, I wasted so much time thinking I had the answers, you know, and I was doing all the right things. And then Women's Choice Network comes into my life and, and I'm not, I kid you not, Amy Shearing, who's the executive director there, she called me and she said, I want you to take over this program to go out to the schools. And the Lord, I said, the Lord is calling, the Lord is calling. And it, and it was, that was so fulfilling, going into the high schools, the public schools, into the city. And I knew, and I, we were, and I had a speaking team of a bunch of Jesus freaks, right? We had elders from ACAC, and the Lord totally, we don't know, I won't know what, exactly what we did, you know, till I get there, but it was a time of being used by the Lord. No question, it wasn't me, he called me. Yeah. And he said, this is what you're doing for me. And I said, okay. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if, if I may offer a side note, uh, Ron Steele was the pastor that led Laura to Christ. His parents, his dad was an elder at our church in Ocala. His dad actually said this when he found out Beth and I were engaged, he looked at me and he said, congratulations. And he looked at Beth and said, it's not too late to change your mind. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. Um, this is the first time I've given my testimony in front of my mother. So I'm not sure how I'll change it, but <laughs> she's here today. Uh, I grew up in a, you know, Christian family, uh, one of six, the second oldest, and um, uh, went to church, heard the gospel probably several hundred, if not a thousand times, and growing up in that family, read the, we read the Bible every night at uh, dinner time, and um, but that was, uh, wasn't time for me. I was too interested in girls and sports and pornography and the things that get you into trouble, and um, in fact, I think of my neighbor that I became good friends with, if they hadn't moved away, I'm sure I would have been in jail. Uh, he, he was not a good influence on me. Um, went to Grove City College, probably heard the gospel even more there, and <laughs> met Nancy there. It's a, it was a wonderful thing. We got married, 
still not in the Lord, not going to church. We're uh, just enjoying life, right? As young married newlyweds do. And my mother, she's in my testimony. She always has been in my testimony. She has been a praying mom. That's what I remember most about her. And she knew of a pastor over in the North Hills here, and he had actually brought my sister to faith in her youth, his youth group. We found, she found out that he had a church over here, um, Melwood Presbyterian Church, which was a predecessor to North Park Church, Jim Morrison. And she said, Jim, I've got a son and a young bride in your neighborhood. I want you to go get him." <laughs> and he did. He came over uh, one evening, and for four hours, it's like the gospel just all of a sudden opened up, and it was God. It was time. And God opened my eyes and Nancy's eyes, and that's a beautiful thing when you can come to faith with your wife. That was uh, about six months later. There was an altar call at the church, and I think a third of the church came down, and Nancy and I went down as part of that altar call, and that was the beginning of our history, and, and I gave her my testimony to our search team, and Kevin said, well, if you want to know the history of North Park Church, just listen to Phil's testimony, because we, <laughs> we've been here, and we've been part of all of this, um, and it's interesting. I am now getting ready to retire, and um, I think God, his last 12 years, God has been able to use me in my work uh, amazingly, in amazing ways. Um, I, I, I've been part of a consulting program, and uh, this consulting is around Lean and Agile, which is all about servant leadership and, and dealing with people. And if, if you can't, you know, demonstrate your, your faith in, in helping people wrestle with problems, I mean, where, where can you? And, and I've been blessed over the last month hearing back from people, because I put out my testimony, basically, in a blog that I do in the company. So about a thousand people get to read my testimony, and mm. I get hear back from them. And I've had people call me that are not believers and just saying how much they saw my faith and how much they, you know, appreciated what that was, and they wanted to talk to me about it. So I've had the opportunity in the last week, even, mm. to talk to people from Germany and other places uh, around the world. And I'm going to be having a retirement party here, and I'm thinking about how I'm going to testify there. And, um, but it's been, you know, it's been a fantastic 40-some years in the industrial and business world. And I'm going to retire, and Nancy's a little bit trepidatious about that because of all my energies and what I'm going to do with them. And I said, don't worry, dear. I'm going to inflict them on all of you. <laughs> so be prepared. <laughs> so anyway, that's what God's been doing. Can I just say one? I know, Dan, you're on time. The thing, the one other thing I want to boast on God about is the search team that I served on. He called me to that team. I felt very inadequate on that team. And that team was used by God to bring Dan Henley to this church and to preach the word of God and to be, a de to, to be a, uh, an example of Jesus loving on us. And that I will give God all the glory. Thank you, guys. Uh, that last part was not provoked or asked for, but uh, 
Thank you for sharing that. And, uh, and, and good, good work praying mom, Mrs. Van Sickle. Thank you. Good work, Jim Morrison, Ron Steele, Jim and Leela Steele, Young Life, all of these that the Lord used as his agents. But it was God who did this transforming, rescuing work, and we'll spend forever praising him. Okay, we have one more point that I get to make today, and it's a good one. We end with a look at obedient Gentiles. We've seen the offering, the focus on the Gentiles, the offering of the Gentiles, uh, obedient Gentiles. Paul does not offer up to God <laughs> angry, immoral, self-willed Gentiles, but obedient ones. Verse 18, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Paul has spoken of this already way back in Romans 1, verse 5. A few of you were here for that message. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. So what is the goal? Oh, geez. Obedient Gentiles, not just baptized Gentiles, not church-attending Gentiles, not nice Gentiles, obedient ones, Gentiles who come to the root of Jesse and bow in glad submission before him, and then they get up and they live for his purposes and for his praise. In the Great Commission, our master charges us to go to the Gentiles and teach them to obey all that Christ commands them, not just to know it, but obey it. And until someone, until or unless someone is living, roughly speaking, at least by the commandments of Christ, we've not made a disciple. So the goal is obedient Gentiles not pew sitters, not even donors. We want to present to the Lord a church of Gentiles who are committed to doing His will. Thinking about this, I was struck by how missing this simple theme of obedience is from much of the evangelical church in our day. Obedient is not a word we like to use to describe ourselves or our people. It's just not. Ever been to Obedient Community Church uh, or Obedience Presbyterian? I can't think of a single book that has ever been written, The Obedient Christian or The Obedient Church. No, no. That just doesn't sound hip. That's not cool. Obedience, you know, that's what you want from your dog. <laughs> not how we think of praising people or churches. You know, there's the prevailing church. There's the purpose-driven church. There's the effective church. There's the transforming church. There's the healthy church. Paul wants obedient church. So does his Lord. Back in verse 16, we encountered that word sanctified, and that has a lot to do with obedience. Uh, yeah, I, I remember a presbytery exam years ago there in Central Florida, Ken. The candidate was asked what uh, sanctification was, the kind of thing Presbyterians talk about at presbytery meetings. What is sanctification? And he gave an answer. Somebody taught him was really wise. He said, oh, sanctification is the process by which we become more and more aware of how sinful we are. Now, I'm going to ask you this. Is that true? 
it, it is true. Next question. Is that thorough? <laughs> no, that is not thorough. That answer was woefully lacking. So I asked the brother a follow-up question. Does sanctification have anything to do with growing in holiness and obedience, with becoming like Christ in thought, word, and deed? And his response was, nope, nothing to do with that. Just about discovering how far short we have fallen. My dear friends, you know better than that because you have studied the book of Romans. God's book is not foggy on this. The gospel certainly does help us see our shortcomings, but this is good news. I think it's good news. It also helps us change. We go from being faithless, disobedient Gentiles to believing obedient Gentiles who are growing more and more obedient to the Master because we love Him and we trust Him and we long to please Him, and this is all 100% of grace. Of course it is. Christ does it. His Spirit does it. And when we are obedient children of God, who is it that we are imitating? We are imitating our Savior. From Him, through Him, Unto him are all things. Therefore, to him belongs the glory forever. For all of that, our obedience especially. All right, so one of my prayers for North Park Church is that she will be a church of obedient Gentiles with two or three completed Jews thrown in the mix. <laughs> my prayer for you is that you learn the joy of growing into a more obedient discipleship. This was the apostle's goal for his ministry. It can be your goal too, your goal for your ministry, your goal for your life. For many years now, one of my regular prayers, especially as I awaken to a new day, is this, Father, make this day, the 10th day of December, 2023, the most obedient day of my life. Lots of other adjectives could be used and should be used in that prayer, but this, is, this one is prominent for Paul in Romans. Obedient. Father, Holy Spirit, precious Savior, make this day the most obedient that I have ever lived. Join me in making that your prayer, and we'll trust Christ to make it our reality. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we rejoice today with this extraordinary word so deeply rooted in the promises of the Old Testament, so gloriously brought to fruition in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension and the reign of your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you today, Lord, that, uh, that even though there's just three that stood before us to share of your grace in their lives, that that is something that most of us here could do as well, that we will brag on you in time and eternity. Give us opportunity even to do it with neighbors and friends and colleagues and family members over the next couple of weeks as we remember Jesus this season.
And Father, we pray that you would indeed grow up in this place, a congregation of obedient Gentiles who humbly rejoice in your grace, who honor you for your work in our lives by walking in faithfulness before you. And we do pray, Lord, if we haven't blown it too badly already, that you make this day the most obedient day of our lives. And tomorrow, yet more obedient and sweeter still. And we offer these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.